And we have been looking at these chapters in Exodus in the last uh, few months. And we, we've been talking about the tabernacle and Moses being given instructions as to how to build the tabernacle. And then in between the time when God gave him the instructions to build the tabernacle and then into the time of the actual building of the tabernacle, there were a couple of chapters. And I thought we would look at those and we have been looking at them. Kind of parenthesis. Something that happened in between. And we were reminded that when things all seemed to be going well, God would have been instructing Moses as to how to build the tabernacle and then he suddenly said, get down because the people are sinning. And they made a golden calf and they sinned. And we, we had that a few weeks ago. And then God said that he wasn't going to be with the children of Israel. He was going to send an angel to lead them. And he also said to Moses, I'm going to destroy these people and I'm going to start a new generation with you. And Moses was a wonderful person. He was the meekest man. And most people would have said, that's it. I Let God start something new like that with me. But he didn't. He said, no, carry on with these people. I know they're stiff-necked and that they've, they, oh, they're, they're a terrible bunch of people. And it said that they were stiff-necked, a, a forehead of brass, hard-headed, stiff-necked people like us. And Moses said, I know they're like that, but God, you work with them. You work with them. But God told Moses to take the tabernacle. Now, this wasn't the, the tabernacle, the main tabernacle. It wasn't built yet. But Moses had a tent which was called the, ta the tabernacle of the congregation, the tent of meeting, where he used to go and speak with God. And God said, take that outside the camp because I, I'm finished with these people. And Moses pleaded with God and pleaded with God and then God eventually said, I will go with these people. And then Moses said to God in the end of chapter 33, he said, show me, show me your glory. And God said, yes, I will show you, you my glory. And then in chapter 34, he's continuing that conversation with Moses in this tabernacle, this tent. And we read a few verses in chapter 34. You know, when I started this on Friday, I think it was, I, I said, I'll do the whole of chapter 34, but there's no we're going to do the whole of chapter 34, unfortunately. We have to come back to it again. But let's read, let's see how far we can get. Chapter 34 in Exodus. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou didst break. You know that when Moses came down the mountain, he had the two tables of stone, and God had written on them. God had written, isn't that amazing? The, the, the commandments. And as Moses came down, he saw the sin in the camp and all that was happening. And in righteous anger and indignation, he'd thrown the, 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 the two tablets of stone down and they'd broken, they'd smashed. God said, I want you to get two more pieces of stone and I will write on them what I wrote on the first ones. It would appear that God, in actual fact, had, had produced the original stones and written on them. But here he was going to write on the stones which Moses was to make. And be ready in the morning 
and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And Moses, that is, and he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up upon Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if I now have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, this is God speaking, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have never been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. God was going to do a marvelous work. You know, the, the parallel chapter to this, if you read it at home sometimes, is Second Corinthians chapter 3. It's talking about the, the fleshy tablets of your heart. But I told you the background. God said that he would reveal himself to Moses. After Moses had been pleading for the people, Moses had said, reveal yourself. And he said, I will take, in verse 22, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand. He hideth my soul in the cleft of a rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my soul in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. And God spoke in verse 1. He said to Moses, Hew me out two stones, and I'm going to write on those tablets what I had on the first. And in a way, it's a picture of, of the two covenants, isn't it? The first covenant Moses had brought down, he brought the two sets of stones, and he had smashed them. Before God... Uh, and Moses had even time to give God's law to the people, they were broken. Man is sinful. Right from the Garden of Eden, man is sinful. And God's laws are constantly being broken. But now, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, another set of laws. And you know, this new set, what was going to happen to them? They were going to be hidden. They were going to be put into the ark of the covenant. They were two of the things that were put into the Ark of the Covenant. There was the, the two tablets of stone with the, the law of God written on it. There was Aaron's rod that budded and there was a, a golden pot of manna. 
and, and they were put into the ark, but they were hidden in the ark. These two tablets of stone were going to be put and hidden in the ark. And we know that the ark is a type of Christ, isn't it? We saw that as we were studying the tabernacle, the, the instructions as how to build the tabernacle. There were so many things within that tabernacle which pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to look at Colossians chapter 3. There's a verse in Colossians chapter 3. And it's uh, chapter and uh, verse 3. For ye are dead and your life is hid. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Paul was speaking to the Colossians here and he said you're dead. Well obviously they weren't physically dead. <laughs> they, they were alive. And their sins had been forgiven so they weren't still dead in their sins. And the law, the law had no demands on them because the law had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were dead to the law. Dead to the consequences of the law because now they were saved by grace. They, were, they should be dead to sin. You know, I remember years ago, it's funny how people say things to you sometimes and they stick in your mind, isn't it? I, I was driving along with a, a, a dear old friend of mine. Now, he wasn't that old then, I suppose. And we were driving down the street in, in, in Dublin, and, and another Christian chap who'd been in our Bible class or something walked out in front of a car, and he, he was nearly hit. And I said, oh, did you see him? He was dead to the world. And he said to me, that's the way you should be. That's the way I should be. Dead to the world. Dead to, to the influences of the world on our lives. I remember another old chap. Uh, I was coming down the street in the village we lived in. And he was a big, cheerful man. And uh, he said, hello, sir. And oh, I said, didn't see you. I was dead to the world. And he said, and alive unto righteousness. <laughs> and really... It's funny how you remember things, but those things have stuck in my mind. They happened a long time ago. We should be dead to the world, to the influences of the world on our lives, and we should be alive unto righteousness. As dead men, they, the world should have no, no, no attractions to us. Believers are dead with Christ. We're alive in him, but we're dead to the world should have no regard for the principles and the, the demands of the world and all its, its lusts. As the Bible says, the, the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, they should have no attraction to us. We should be dead to them. The nerve attaching us, attracting us to that should be severed and we should be just concentrating. Can we say that we're dead to the world? Am I dead to the world and its attractions and living for Christ? But the verse goes on to say, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The psalmist had the, the same idea. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You hide the word of God in our hearts and grow. I delight to do thy will, the psalmist said. 
O my God, thy law is within my heart. Our life should be a spiritual life. A life of faith in the Lord Jesus. A life of communication with him day by day. We said that we sang that little, uh, or we repeated that little chorus a few weeks ago. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Joy I share as I tarry there none other has ever known. A life of sanctification. Sanctified. It sounds very holy. But it's a life of separation for God. Our lives should be separated from the, the world around us. There are verses in Romans 15 verse 16 says, Sanctified, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 5, we are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. As we pray and as we read God's word, it, it affects our lives, or it should. Sanctified, it says in Jude, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And we have this eternal life which is hidden with us in Christ, in God. Our life is hid in Christ. A life of vision and enjoyment of God and Christ. A life of fellowship with God. That's the way our life should be. It says our life is hid. Hid from the world. People in the world don't know what we're talking about because the things of the, of the Spirit and the things of, of God are not, don't make sense to the people in the world. It's hidden from them. It's hidden, the Bible says, from the wise and prudent. We should desire, as Paul says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow. Eternal life is hidden from natural man. But also, you know, there is that feeling. And going back to Exodus again, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 22, there is that feeling, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I have put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee there while I pass by. God is going to give us safety. Safety. Because we're going to be protected by his hand. He's going to keep us in his hand. You know, it says in, in John that we are in Jesus' hands and we're in God's hands. He's got a double grasp on us. We have safety in him. As we sang that again, he hideth my soul in the cleft of a rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. My life is hid with Christ. And then it goes on in verse, in verse 2. It says, be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning upon Mount Zion and present thyself there to me at the top of the mount. What an awesome command. Could you imagine if when you went home today, there was a chap knocked on the door and he handed you a letter and he says, the queen wants you in Buckingham Palace in the morning. There'd be panic about a clean shirt. He pressed the trousers. You know, we'd be running around in circles. We don't know what time of the day God said this to Moses, but he said, I want you up on Mount Sinai first thing in the morning, and I want you to bring two tablets of stone with me, with you. Oh, can you imagine this? Where's God? Where, where, where's the chisel? Where, where did I get this stone? And 
running around. You know, you wonder what he did. Because he had to be first thing in the morning up Mount Sinai to meet with God. And it says in verse 3, and he said, No man shall come up with you, neither let anybody be seen even on the mountain. And the, all, the, all the herds, keep them away from the mountain. He had all that to organize before he went up to see God in the morning. Moses had to be alone. You know, at times when Moses went to, to meet with God, although he went right into the presence of God, there were times when Aaron went and he, he took Aaron and his sons and, and 70 of the elders. And other people went along with him. Joshua was with him another time. Joshua waited back a bit while Moses went and met with God. And this time, none of that. Moses was to meet with God. Moses must be alone. That the ministration of the law, the, the handing over of the law of God, might be by him alone. He was, he was the one to whom God was going to entrust his law. And you know, Moses is a type of our Lord. There was a greater one who was going to come, greater than Moses. It says in John, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He was the one who fulfilled the law. The law of God that Moses was going to be handed was the way man was going to be able to approach a holy God. Sinful man could not approach God, but through the law and through the sacrifices and through the, the high priest, God was giving Moses a, a lot of laws enabling man to, to, to meet with God. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ was the only one able and who was entrusted with our salvation. He was the one who came to this earth. As I say, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for many. We sang that hymn. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He was the one. And Moses was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one to whom God entrusted the law. But our salvation, the only one who could leave heaven and come down to this earth. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made righteous in God's sight. Salvation came through Jesus Christ. Christ who came to fulfill the law was the only one who could come from glory and become man to bring us to God. Can we imagine Moses preparing those stones, getting up early in the morning, and setting off through the camp while the camp was asleep, going up that lonely mountain to meet with God on his own, and you know, do you ever think what it was like for our Lord Jesus Christ to leave the glory of heaven and come and live among sinful man? The lonely, 
road to Mount Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin for us. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was the suffering servant. And yet it says, without him was not anything made that was made. He was there at creation. He was the one who died for you and for me. The psalmist, you know, in, in Psalm 35, have a look at ver Psalm 35 and verse 11. David speaking here, but he's speaking prophetically as well about what it was like. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers in feast they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Read Psalm 22 and see what they did to our Lord Jesus Christ there. The Lord, it says, met with Moses in the cloud. In verse 25, I wondered if Moses, as he went up that mountain, wonder, is God going to be there? Is he going to, to meet with me? God, when he says he wants to meet with us, he will meet with us. God had said to meet with him. God had given Moses a commandment. You know, we, 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 we preach the gospel. We ask people to accept Christ as their saviour, to come to him for for, for repent, in repentance and faith. But you know there's a verse in, in Acts which says, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commandeth all men. Every, it's a command. God says, I command men to repent. And men have gone against God's commandment to repent. He has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. And he says, I command men to repent and believe on him. And men have turned their back on God's commandment. God says that if we seek him, we'll find him. We read those verses quite often. I wrote them out in Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an, expect, an expected end. God knows what he wants for us. He wants us to have a wonderful end. Then he says, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me. Moses went up to seek him. And he says, And ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity 
and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. God says if people will search for him with all their heart, they will find him. It's wonderful really, isn't it? And he says, I'm going to release you from captivity. Talking to Israel here, but he's also saying he came to give sight to the blind, to release the captive. We're captive by Satan. Man is captive by sin. And God says, I'm going to release you. I'm going to bring you back out of that captivity. There was never any doubt that God would meet with Moses. And Moses was in no doubt that God was there because then God, it says in verse 6, in verse 5, God proclaimed the name of the Lord. He said that he would show him his glory. And here is God in the mountain, Moses on his own, and God is going to show him his glory. And the amazing thing is, he proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. And you know, those two, that expression apparently is the very same expression that God gave to Moses when he was at the burning bush. I am that I am, the ever-existing one. And what an encouragement that must have been to Moses. When God said who he was, Oh, he says, that's, that's the same name that God gave me before I set out to get these people out of Egypt. That must have really struck a chord with Moses. God used the, the same name for himself as he had used before Moses had set out to start off on this whole journey, which was an amazing journey for poor old Moses. I feel sorry for him sometimes because the people gave him such heartache and backache and headache and every other kind of ache because they were stubborn hard-headed stiff-necked people God was there and then God says to us this morning you know he said to Moses he brought that word of comfort to Moses I'm, I'm the same God that you had in Egypt I'm the same God that wrought all those miracles the coming out of Egypt, the Passover, coming out over the Red Sea, providing water from the rock, providing manna for these people. I'm the same God. I'm the same God. God, through his Holy Spirit, comes to us this morning and says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, we had that story, you know, of, of Jesus walking on the water. The disciples were out in the boat. Jesus had been left behind praying. And they were having a rough time. The wind was howling. And they were making no progress. And then across the water comes Jesus. And they thought it was some kind of an apparition. And then he says, It is I. Be not afraid. It is I. Be not afraid. He came and in the midst of all their, their, their fear and difficulty, trying to get the boat, he says, it's me. Don't be afraid. And that's like what Moses, God was saying to Moses here. I'm the same God. I'm the same God that wrought all those miracles for you. Don't be afraid. It's I. Don't be afraid. Jesus said the same things when, when the disciples met in the upper room there. and They were, they were worried because their, their leader had been crucified. They had deserted him. And now he appears. And he says, 
Look at my hands. It's I. It's me. Don't be afraid. Look at my hands and my feet. And then God goes on to tell Moses that he is a merciful and a gracious God. A merciful and gracious God. The Lord God, he says, merciful and gracious. You know, one of the, we used to learn verses in Sunday school. I don't think kids do it now. But Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. The Lord hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God is merciful and gracious. He is full of mercy. He knows us. He knows what we're like. And he's gracious to us. It says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He pities you like, like your father or your mother. He knows. He knows. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And then he said, I'm long-suffering. Now Moses knew all about this. He says, yes, God's long-suffering. Because these people need a long-suffering God. And you know, you and me, as we, as we fail God, as we, as we are not living up to the, the, the standard we should be, God is long-suffering with us. Thank God he is. And as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says, he abounds abundant in goodness and truth. This is an amazing God we worship this morning. And the God of, the, of this, this God is the same God today. He's abundant in goodness and truth. Peter writing said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy. He's an abundant God. Jesus said he came to give us life in all its abundance. Not just a, an everyday drudgery, but an abundant life. That's what we should have in Christ. And he says he keeps mercies for thousands. Oh yes. He forgiving, it says, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Isn't that wonderful? Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We have a forgiving God. If we confess our sins, it says, He was faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, there's a, there's a warning here. He says, but this God will by no means clear the guilty. If we're not prepared to come in repentance and faith and confession before him, he says, by no means will I clear the guilty. And you know, when Moses heard this, do you know what he did? He and bowed down and he worshipped this God and that's what we should do this morning we should thank God that for all that he has done for you and for me he's an abundant God he's overflowing with mercy and graciousness a forgiving God go on to verse 9 you know when I read this last night you have to hand it to Moses he would have made a great 
preach, uh, open air worker or so. He never missed. He never missed an opportunity to 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 say something to God. We would have been so uh, thankful and all to God. But you know what, Moses, when he when he had worshipped God, what did he say? He thought of the children of Israel. He thought of the people that God had entrusted to him. That was his first thought. Oh, that's all right for me. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. But what about the people down there? He had a wonderful heart for these people who were stiff-necked and brass-browed. And you know, he said, Oh, Lord, let, no, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. He identified with these people who had given them so much trouble, who had failed, who had tried to replace God, Jehovah, with a, a, a golden calf. And yet, here he is. He prays a wonderful prayer. And we'll just look at that very briefly, and then we're finished. He says, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. If I have found grace in thy sight, and he obviously, God had kept his promise and shown him his glory. And he says, Lord, I found grace in your sight. Lord, go amongst this people. For it is a stiff-necked people. And you know, when we come before God, we have to admit that we are stiff-necked. We have sinned. We have disobeyed his law and his commandments daily in our lives. We used to sing that song I am a sheep, ba ba and I like to be well fed but like a sheep, ba ba I'm simple in the head I go astray most every day oh what a burden I was, must be I'm, I'm glad I have the good shepherd looking after me you know. we go astray most every day we give God I'm sure heartache and these people Moses prayed he said for it is a stiff necked people pardon our iniquity and our sin that's what we have to pray that God will pardon us for what we do day by day as we go against him and he says take us for thine inheritance God had said he would give the inheritance to Moses a few chapters back he said I'm going to destroy this people and I will start again with you and Moses is here saying no don't he says God has, God take us for thine take us he'd included himself take this people who are stiff necked take us for thine inheritance and you know the wonderful thing God answered him straight away and if we pray a prayer like that God will answer us God will answer us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and God answered in the next verse he just straight away he says behold I will make a covenant with you isn't that straight away God said yes and I'm going to do wonderful things. People around you are going to be amazed. And you know, if, if we commit ourselves completely to God, and if we are 100% for Him, then the people around will be amazed. 
and he'll make a covenant with us. Said, Jesus said, I make a, a new covenant in my blood. The old covenant had passed away. All these laws, the rituals that we've been talking about in the old tabernacle will have passed away. And now we have a covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who accept him as the Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. And we look next week at how that covenant and what it is and a lot more in that chapter. Uh, hopefully next week. God willing. Thank you.